Before we jump in, actually, I just want to say a couple things in thanks. Um, most of you know that uh, this past week, uh, uh, our whole family, actually, this was an amazing thing. Um, our whole family being Janice and, and uh, myself and Jonathan, who's home from, from college, and uh, our eldest son, Drew and Davina, and their uh, son, our grandson, uh, Elliot, and Matt and Anna and little Mabel, uh, we were all over together in, uh, on the land of hemp, Salt Spring Island, uh, and we were there to celebrate the life of our mother, who passed away on June 4th. And I just want to thank you for your prayers. Um, it, it was just such an incredibly uh, encouraging day uh, to celebrate the life of this very amazing woman um, who lived to the, almost the age of 87. She would have been 87 on Friday. And a uh, big Canada Day fan, so boy, she, she missed one more Canada Day. But that's okay. It was, it was such an encouraging time. And here's, here's why. Uh, first of all, we got to celebrate her, and it was beautiful in the way that it was done. But most of you know that before we came here to plant this church, it was, we were praying about Squamish or Salt Spring, actually. And the reason for that is we've been visiting that place. My sister lives there for many, many, many years and have a heart for the people there. And I just got to tell you that to be there and to see uh, Anna and Jonathan leading uh, Amazing Grace and Because He Lives and Jonathan reading the 23rd Psalm and all of our family participating in that. And I gave a short word, believe it or not, I know most of you, when you hear a short word by Glenn, you go, right, right. Okay. Uh, it was a short word. It was about the sower sows the seed. And many of the people in the audience, these Buddhist, New Age, hemp-wearing men and women who we love were there. And it was just incredible to see some of their hearts and eyes open to the gospel. So would you pray? Would you pray for them and for that place? Um, I really feel that the God is, is potentially ready to move in an amazing way there. But he needs the body, he needs the church to step up and to do that. So would you pray about that in the future? Galatians chapter 1. Um, I'm going to get into it in a little bit, but let me explain to you what I, I felt led by the Holy Spirit to do. I think it would be fair to say... That as we went through this letter, um, most of us, I, I for one, i got to be honest with you, and I've said this before, you know, some of the, the, the New Testament epistles, Ephesians, you know, Philippians, you know, T- Timothy, Titus, and, you know, teachings on the church and stuff, you know, right there, Romans, big time theology. I've always, you know, Galatians, read it, and I'm like, and as we went through this letter, I think many of us were, were impacted in many ways. Certainly, uh, and in a good way, I believe in our missional community groups, lots of questions came up, lots of dialogue and discussions. And that's a good thing. And I think it's, it's important that uh, as we've completed this, and I felt the Holy Spirit leading this, to, that we should take two to three weeks, three weeks in total, to, to summarize a little bit some of the key themes that we saw in this letter. And so we're going to do that this week and the next two weeks, and we're going to look at three subjects, one word uh, subjects. Number one, today we're going to look at the theme of, are you ready for it? Authority. Uh, I know that's just one of the most awesome words in our culture today. Everybody loves that word. We're going to look at authority. And then next week, and that's really the first two chapters, a summary of the first two chapters of what Paul wrote. Um, and then we're going to look at, in the second week, next week, we're going to look at salvation, because it was what Paul was fighting for, the main reason why he was so astonished and angry with the Judaizers who were the false teachers who were attempting to lead these young Christian churches astray, uh, is that they were going to subvert the gospel, the message of the very gospel that leads to salvation. It's not a salvation by works. It's a salvation by grace alone and faith alone in Jesus Christ and what he has done. And then in the last week, we're going to see really, again, chapter 5 and 6 in Galatians, which is how we live this out in the Christian life today, and it is the pursuit of holiness. So authority, salvation, and holiness. 
And today we're going to look at that wonderful subject of authority. And that's really what, when Paul started this letter, it, it was what was at stake, really, right? When he begins the letter, the first two chapters, he starts off really with, with somewhat of, of a bio, right? He, he starts talking about who he is and his authority and, 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 his, and, and they should respect this. And look at with me in the first few verses, in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, how he puts it. And it, it's, it's a very different opening to his letter. Most other letters he opens, right? If you read them, it's all about, you know, oh, I'm praying for you, and you're so awesome, and, and I love you, and I miss you. This one, he just gets straight to the point, because it's a very important letter that he's writing. And here's what he says in the first two verses. He goes, name's Paul. <laughs> no flowery words. Name's Paul, an apostle. And then these are important words. Not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. So that's his introduction. That's how he introduces himself. And then he, he really just jumps right into it. And then if we go over to verses 6 and 7, he says, and this is where he got, and I used to, I think early on in the series, mentioned that you know, he's, he's, he's disappointed with the Gentile Christians, the Galatians. But he's angry. He's angry with these false teachers. I have to see Paul in the right light here. He's pretty perturbed. And so he starts off with, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And then he sort of catches himself. He says, not that there is another one, but there are some who would trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And so as I've said, the first two chapters are, as we learned, Paul's bio which he felt necessary to recite to them so that they would understand that he had the authority of Jesus behind him and not men. Um, and that, it was what, Jesus what was, be, was behind the presentation of his gospel. He said, as you saw in the first couple of verses, not from men or through men, but directly from Jesus. And so we need to keep that in mind today as we look at this subject of authority. I don't want to spend any time, we've done it before as a church, talking about authority in our world today and culture. It's been fun, right? <laughs> All of us, we grow up and we get, you know, we get, you know, we're raised by our parents and we're completely obedient. We have no problem with that. And then we go to school, completely obedient, right? Like, we have no issues with authority today, right? Okay, we've done that. Good. I just want to make sure I just follow up on that. So, so here's what happened in Galatia. Paul and Barnabas had planted these churches in Galatia through their bold preaching of the gospel. And we learn that not only from the letter, but from other epistles about their missionary journeys, and particularly the book of Acts. And as Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1, it was before your eyes, actually I don't have that on the screen, it was before your very eyes that Jesus Christ, remember this, was publicly portrayed as crucified. And, and so Paul's point was is that the presentation of the gospel in that day and into those churches, what brought you to salvation wasn't flowery words, it was Jesus hanging on a cross dying for you, publicly displayed. Graphically is the Greek word there, displayed. In other words, they preached the cross. <laughs> they preached Christ crucified. And that's what brought the Galatians to faith in Jesus Christ. But after they had left, men came down from Jerusalem, and they claimed that they had, listen to this, the authority of the Jerusalem church behind them. That's how they introduced themselves to the Galatian believers and began teaching their false 
religion, their false gospel. And, and th- their claim was, first of all, the first thing they wanted to do, and we've seen that in an early couple of messages, you might want to listen to those, that it's happening today, it's happened since that day. Their first attempt was basically to discredit Paul. And so they, they discredit the messenger of God, the apostle, the one who was commissioned by Jesus. They begin by discrediting him. For, you know, it's kind of like this. Well, you know, Paul's a good guy. Listen, we like Paul. But remember, he used to be a Jew, and now he's kind of turned his back on Judaism, and he's become full-on Jesus follower, but he's forgotten the law. And, and guys, we just want you to know that it's good to believe in Jesus. But you, come on, you all know that the Ten Commandments, the Torah, the law, we've we got to keep that too. In, order, in other words, you've got to become Jewish first, and then accept Jesus to become a full Christian. So now as a result of this, the Galatian Christians, I think, we would assume, are in a bit of a pickle, aren't they? They've got these two divergent teachings, right? These very authoritative-sounding preachers, bold. You know, one's claiming the authority is coming from Jesus, and the other is claiming that the authority is coming from the Jerusalem church, you know, the big guys back up there in Jerusalem, the big church, the mothership, right? They're the ones who are behind us. And so it's an issue of authority. Right here at this point in time, they've got their credentials. Both groups of men seem to love Jesus, um, love the word, want to live holy and righteous lives. Both seem to know their Bibles. And so the question for the Galatians is, and I guess for us today is, who do you trust? Who do you place your faith and trust in? I would suggest that not much has changed. This has been going on for centuries and even more so today. Today, we don't just have these two viewpoints, do we? Today, thanks to the speed and ease of communication information, the choices are vast and therefore even more confusing. Even more confusing. But my question is, are they really? Are they as confusing? Are there really that many different voices? Remember again, the overall arching over... We called this series The Pursuit of Liberty, right? Freedom in Jesus Christ. And, and having faith in the one true gospel is what gives us that. But there are these two poles that are constantly pulling. And, and people, when they hear the gospel, are wanting to go one of two directions, either to license over here or to legalism over here. You know, ultra-traditional, conservative, law-keeping, legalism, or got Jesus, got fire insurance, I can live any way I want, right? No. And so there's this, this idea that, well, what we got to do is find a happy medium. No. Actually, the gospel is we need to find the liberty, the true freedom that we have in Christ. And so today we've got way more. It's more confusing, way more opinions. And yes, every group has impressive set of scholars with reasoned and intelligent-sounding arguments. So it seems, things, seems actually that things might be more difficult. But again, I ask the question, really, are they? Is it not just really these two poles that exist that are trying to take us away from the one true gospel that Paul has preached to us? So in order to discern this truth, what we need to do is see exactly how Paul dealt with this. And that's what we need to recap. So first, what Paul does is make one clear distinction. He makes this very clear distinction in that day. And the word that we have today is true today, I would say, for us too. And it's the same. His authority comes directly from Jesus Christ. He doesn't claim any... As a matter of fact, at one point, he's like, I, I, guys, not need norm from man or through man. I, I didn't hear this from any other apostle. They didn't teach me the gospel. I, I, you remember the road to Damascus? Do you remember what happened to me? He writes this. He tells about this in the letter. He goes, I'm going to persecute Christians and put them to death. And flash of light, Jesus 
He speaks to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What do you mean you? I'm persecuting your church. Oh, yeah, your church, that's you. That's how he, you know, that's Paul's approach, and this is how he deals with it. So watch this, because it will undoubtedly, I think, fly against our North American sensibilities a bit. Paul essentially says to the Galatians this. I'm going to paraphrase. You should receive and believe my gospel, not because my gospel per se, not because of it per se, but because of me. That's how he actually starts his presentation here. He says again, let me read this. You should not receive, you should receive and believe my gospel, pardon me, not because of it, the gospel that I preach per se, but because of me. His first two chapters are all about his credentials, his cred, and where he gets it from. Now, it sounds a bit arrogant. It sounds a bit arrogant, really. I would encourage you to go read the Gospels and about how Jesus speaks, about his authority. Remember the passage in Mark 13 where they're going like, upon what authority do you do these things, right? And he gives them a little bit of a test, and they don't know how to answer it. And he goes, I'm not going to tell you where I get that authority. So can you imagine anyone speaking that way today? Well, actually, some do, but without the authority that Paul had, and that's his point. He's saying, you should believe the gospel that I'm preaching, not because of its superior truth so much, but hear this, but because of my superior authority. Now, he's not claiming authority higher than God, but what he is doing is comparing his authority to these false teachers. John Stott, I think, sums up this point very well, so I'm going to put it on screen for you what he has to say. He says this, the authority of the Judaizers, the false teachers, boasted was an ecclesiastical authority. They claimed to come from and to speak for the Jerusalem church. Paul insists, on the other hand, that both his mission and his message came not from the church, but from Christ himself. Now, this is really important for our understanding of authority in the church and in the world today, but specifically in the Christian life and in the church. It's the most important distinction that Paul makes through the first two chapters. So remember how he mentioned that he got his apostolic authority from Jesus and not from men, as we've already seen. He then continued through the letter, as I've mentioned, read, reminding them of how Jesus apprehended him on the road to Damascus, how he also had gone to the Jerusalem church to share with them the gospel because there had been some questions raised. And so he's, he's, he's a good, trusting man, but he's also going, look, if I've got this wrong, if I've got this wrong, I, I want to know. So he does go to Jerusalem, to the Jerusalem church. He presents the gospel message that he's been preaching to James and all of those in Jerusalem, and they look at each other and go, that's it. <laughs> that's what we've been preaching. And he's like, so I did that too, just to show you this. And so what he demands of the Galatian churches, he also demands of you and I today, that we be aware of his apostolic authority and that we accept it as well. So before we move on, let's also establish that this about authority. Let's establish what it is and where it comes from. If you study the Old Testament, the word rarely comes up. It rarely comes up in the Old Testament. However, God presents or bestows his authority in three groups of people. He, be, he bestows his authority, we read in the Old Testament, in prophets, priests, and whom? Kings. These are the people that God puts his authority into, and these people are given the authority to lead the Jewish people and their faith in the church. In the New Testament, we see the word often, and it is the Greek word, uh, exousia, which is translated authority or actually power. 
Now, we, re- we know from various areas of Scripture, and particularly Romans 13, it's a good passage to go to, 13 and 14. We know that God ultimately, and this is every Christian can give assent to this, God ultimately has the ultimate authority. He is the one who has authority over all in our world. He is the ultimate authority, and all who do exist are appointed by him, including the President of the United States of America. I thought I'd just throw that in. We might come back to it. Then again, we might not. But he does. The Scripture teaches us that. So let's define this aspect of authority this way. This kind of authority is the God-given freedom to decide to act without hindrance. So God alone gives people that kind of authority. God gives leaders in our world that kind of authority. Secondly, the concept of authority refers to the power, ability, or capability to actually do something, to complete an action. Jesus was given the authority to forgive sins, we find in Matthew 9. So he, he as a man, didn't have that authority, but through the power of the Holy Spirit and from the Father, he was given the authority to forgive sins. That freaked out the Jewish leaders in the day. And to drive out spirits. Jesus then sent the 72, remember, off on their little missionary journey? And he gave them the power and the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. Some people would like that power today. But Satan, too, has been given authority to function within certain parameters that are set by God. Again, remember the test that Jesus went through in the desert before he began his ministry. Satan literally claimed, I have authority over these things. I will give you authority if you bow down and worship me. Well, then this leads, of course, in the New Testament to the source of ultimate authority in the world and the church today. And that would be, of course, our Lord. Jesus Christ. And that's why in the, phrase, in the passage that we come to often at the Rock Church, besides Genesis 1, 2, and 3, Jesus said these words in Matthew 28. All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is saying this after he has defeated Satan, after he has died and risen again. He has accomplished what he was set out to do. He has submitted to the will of the authority of the Father throughout his whole life. And now all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. What is he doing at this point? He is giving, like he did with the 72, some authority to us as Christians. Not just some. In the power of the Holy Spirit, a lot of authority to go into this world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to preserve all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Christ in us. That's a lot of power, and that's a lot of authority, and it should be used wisely and diligently. So now all authority is in the capable and trustworthy hands of Jesus. And as we see here in these verses, he then bestows authority on all of us to go and make disciples. So the question of authority, listen, obviously is is fundamental uh, issue facing every one of us in our world today, especially Christians. Its significance cannot be overstated. Every person has an authority in life. Everyone in this room, we all have authorities in this life, most of which we rebel against, but we all have authorities in our lives uh, that we are supposed to be the subordinate to in our world. And further, God has created human beings to live under his authority. When we choose to live under a different rule, that of self or an idol, we fall into sin. We choose this. This is, in a simple summary, the teaching of Genesis 1, 2, and 3 again. That portion of Scripture illustrates 
So clearly, the human tendency motivated by pride to seek independence from external authority over our lives and to establish self as the final authority. So how then does God exercise his authority today in this world over creation and his creatures? Well, the testimony of Scripture, the New Testament, really teaches us that he establishes three fundamental spheres. And again, this is, we, we love this. I know we do. No. We rebel against it, but it's civil government, the home, and the church. And there are those in each of those areas that are given the authority by God to lead and care for those areas of the world. The believer is obliged to obey those holding authority in those realms. Citizens are to submit to govern authorities. First Peter 2 tells us this. Children are to obey their parents in Ephesians 6. Believers were to honor spiritual authorities such as apostles who demanded compliance on the basis of their commission from the Lord. But we know there are also exceptions. We know there are exceptions, but not the exceptions that most of us want to dole out or pull out from time to time. The exceptions are only when we are asked to do something that contravenes the Word of God, the very Word of God, not when we're told to obey it. No, when we're told to do something that contravenes the Word of God. So the issue facing Christians today and in our radically independent culture is how God exercises authority in the spiritual realm, realm, which is the church. Now, as I've said in the Old Testament, the answer was clear. God exercised his authority through prophets, priests, and kings. They were given to the people. The people submitted willingly to all those prophets, priests, and kings, didn't they? Okay, so we've all read our Old Testament. That's great. At the time of Jesus, the disciples submitted to the lordship of God the Father through obedience to Jesus. That's what we saw. Christ then delegated authority to the apostles. He prayed to the Father to give him 12 men. He chose 12 men. He bestowed upon them the authority not only to establish his church to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, first of all, in their own backyard, first of all, but to the ends of the world, but also to make disciples and to raise up others. And so they were the ones who were given the authority, the apostles who directed the affairs of the early church, and they, in turn, when they set up every church, appointed elders to have authority over those local churches. And that was the pattern. It makes sense, because it's all following from the authority of Jesus Christ. So has the authority of the apostles been transmitted through tradition or, for example, denominations? And this is where I think we get a little bit off course in our world today. It hasn't been. People think that, well, there are traditions and that authority has been passed down through various traditions or even denominations who who take positions. And that's why, actually, we are in a place today where we have thousands of denominations because most just don't want to submit to all of the Scripture. They want to submit to certain ones and highlight those and make those the overarching things that we submit to. A few over here, not so much, but and that's why we have those things. So the evangelical Christian answer to that question as a result of the, 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 the Reformation was this. And remember, when we first started Galatians, it was Martin Luther who wrote the commentary on Galatians. When he read this letter, it, it was the formation of his heart to break away from Roman Catholicism and preach faith in Christ alone. It's this. It's sola scriptura. Ever heard of that? <laughs> Scripture is the overarching authority in our life, and in the church. Not my denomination, not church traditions, not the way we do things here versus the way they do things there. It's the Word of God. 
That was established, and it, it's been that way for, well, a couple of centuries now, and it's because the Bible is the written Word of God, pointing beyond itself to the absolute authority, the living and transcendent Word of God. So God exercises authority over the church through the Scriptures, which impart authoritative truth. The Bible issues definite, definitive directives. Again, like I, I, I've got the T-shirt. We've all been there. You read things in the Bible, and you're like... It's not that it's difficult to obey, although it is. It's just that I don't want to. I don't, I, that, that one, these are better, but not necessarily that one. But it does give us, in its simple reading, definitive directives. It offers an authoritative norm by which all doctrine and principles must be shaped for both individual believers and the church. And so this really brings us back, really, to what we learned in the first month of the series. Paul's authority was not his primary concern. Paul spent two chapters arguing that my authority is superior to their authority. My authority comes from Jesus Christ, not from the Jerusalem church. Guys, be careful about ecclesiastical authority. That's where you're going to get off base. Follow Jesus. (laughs) Follow his word. No, Paul's primary concern was what was being written, the word of God and its authority in the church for the future. It's what was under severe attack in that day, not Paul's person, not his own pride and his own ego in his authority. It was the word that was being spoken and written through the apostles under the authority of Jesus Christ. He issues even more graphic language in his letter to Timothy when he exhorts him to stick to the word. Remember these words? I'll put them on screen for you. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Now the Spirit expressly says, I like that because he's saying, Now, Paul, no, the Spirit expressly says this, that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Literally, that could be doctrines of demons. Yes, demons have doctrines. False teachers have doctrines. And you should be able to know what they are by knowing the Scripture. Through the insincerity of liars whose consequences are seared. This is wonderful language, isn't it? Like, when you hear this kind of stuff, you're like, yeah, you know, I, I, I really appreciate Paul for speaking so candidly about these people. We should do that today. Very, extremely harsh words. But Paul also said this in Galatians. The Spirit expressly says in Galatians, let them be accursed. Strong language. Why do we shy away from this kind of stuff today? Except for those of us who stand here sometimes and then people don't like us for doing that. Why do we shy away when the Apostle Paul is saying, guys, this is serious. This is dangerous. Stand up. So let me give you an illustration of something that I saw in the past week. Um, It was, of course, on Facebook because I'm there occasionally. And it was a video of an interview of a pastor, and I'm going to try to avoid using names, who uh, is a discredited pastor, and I say discredited because I think he has been discredited, but because many other people say as well. And he was being interviewed by a guy who you could only claim to, I mean, if you watch it, he's obviously a fanboy. He's obviously somebody who has not lost faith in this particular pastor, but still really likes him. And they were doing this kind of, uh, they were kind of playing with each other. It was kind of like a satirical thing, right? Which a lot of mm, pastors and people, I'm trying to not use titles, 
from this particular stream of Christianity today like to do, which is create straw men, you know, those traditional people who believe the Bible literally, you know, and, and it's kind of mocking and kind of condescending in its tone and the way that it looks at it. And so they're, they're kind of putting on this satirical little play, and the interviewer, who is also a pastor, is saying to this discredited pastor, you know, I don't know like, if my friends in our church or the people who go to our church are going to be happy with me actually interviewing you because, you know, you've obviously gone astray. <laughs> and they laugh, right? And so, he's, and so in, in mocking terms, he kind of goes, and I'll just call him Bob. It's not his real name, but kind of. Um, he says to Bob, he says, look, Bob, listen, Bob, I want you to know this. 1 Timothy 3.16 is very clear. It says, all scripture is God. And before he can get out the word breathed, Bob interrupts him and says, excuse me, what scripture? What scripture are you talking about? And of course, the interviewer like, kind of acts surprised, like, well, what do you mean, what scripture? And he starts to recite the passage again, right? And, and, and as he starts to go, is God breathed and is profitable for it? No, 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 stop, stop. Bob stops him. And Bob says, no, which scripture? The Torah? The Old Testament? I mean, listen, you do know that the New Testament hasn't been written yet. So which scripture are you talking about when Paul says this in Timothy? Well, they both had a great laugh. (laughs) See how smart we are? They giggled about it. I find that incredibly sad. Disturbing, actually. Because they're very popular people, actually. They write books. They have blogs and podcasts. Many, many young men and women who are a little dissatisfied with the church in many different ways follow them. It concerns me greatly because they're wrong. They're desperately wrong. And let me show you why. It's important. Here's the passage that they're actually talking about. It says in 2 Timothy, All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, complete. It's a big word, important word. Equipped for every good work. Listen, this is a high-watermark verse, is it not? It's a high watermark verse. This is, this is a verse that it, it means everything to the Christian faith. It's speaking about all Scripture, Old Testament and New, as we know it. But then come these false teachers who falsely claim that the apostles didn't actually know that they were writing Scripture at the time. Come on, how would they know that? They're just writing letters to churches trying to help them along. And how, how would they know that? I heard directly from Jesus Christ. The Spirit expressly told me to write this to you. Maybe that's a little hint. Listen, that nonsense, that attitude has been around a long time. They, they're not new at this, but it sounds new to some of us, right? Paul writes this to Timothy in his first letter. He says this, until I come, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Now, listen, are we to assume that in the New Testament days, the church is now about 20 years old, right? The New Testament, the Gospels have been written, that they're all reading them, they're all being there, and we're supposed to assume that Paul's talking about read the Torah? (laughs) Read that into the church at that time? Well, he can't be saying that because earlier in a few verses, he says, command and teach these things that I write to you. How are you going to command and teach them unless you read them (laughs) to the church? But Peter provides our best evidence. There's many evidences, but the best I'm going to give you today is this. In 2 Peter 3, 14 and 16, he says this. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. As you're waiting for these things to complete, in other words, the completion of the the development of the church and the coming again of Jesus Christ, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. 
just as our brother Paul also, look, wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters. So there's many letters by Paul out at this point in time when he speaks in them of these matters. And then he says, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. You think? (laughs) They're not just hard to understand. They're hard for our human hearts to really listen to. Which the ignorant and unstable twist. Boy, Peter, you're like Paul. You write... You call people things like that. To their own destruction, as, look at this, they do the other scriptures. An honest and fair reading of the New Testament would indicate that all of the writers of the New Testament knew they were writing scripture. They were recording the works of Jesus. They were presenting the gospel. And it's why later our early church fathers canonized this and said, yeah, this is, this is complete. This is the scripture. So let's be clear here. As it was with the false teachers in Galatia, it is with everyone who questions the writing of Paul and any of the New Testament authors. They have a problem with authority. That's the problem they have. And it's the problem you and I have when we turn from the Word of God. Listen, let me give you three applications to take with you today. I'm going to close with this. Three applications for you to take with you today. And I say this as your pastor here, as a friend. I say this to myself, and I've been saying some of these things for some time. And the reason is, is because none of us want any of us to be led astray. We want us all to grow in our faith in Jesus Christ. We all want us to end up one day saved and standing before our Lord and Savior and being told, well done, good and faithful servant. Number one is this. Know the word of God for yourself. Please hear me. Every Sunday I say, open your Bibles, please. I don't say it because it's a broken record. Learn your Bibles. Have one with you on Sunday. Open it. Mark it. Write it up. Illustrate it. Take notes. Go home. Know your Bibles. Spend as much time, if not more time, in your Bibles versus Google, podcasts, and other authors. Please do that. The point of the local church is you come, you hear your local pastor open the word, proclaim it to you, not a perfect man, not a perfect preacher, But then you talk about it in in community and you go deeper in it. You learn your Bible. Do that. Know the Word of God for yourselves. Number two, take the Word of God seriously. Take a stand. Rather than moving away from the truth because that sounds interesting, know know the truth well enough to say, no, uh, no, that's not right. I'm I'm going to say no to that. I'm going to say you're wrong to that. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul accused the false teachers in Galatia of doing in chapter 3. He said they were using them to make a good showing in the flesh. That's what false teachers do today. They mock other pastors, theologians, and teachers, and even the Apostle Paul. Thirdly, and this is important, follow this advice. Not my advice. The advice, really, of the Apostle Paul in the Scripture. The problem the Galatians had was two popular voices. You and I have dozens and more on the way. The false teachers in the church today follow this pattern. They may start with apostolic teachings, but they quickly pull away. They quickly pull away. They point to current authors, commentators who support their positions, and then back through a line of theologians and ecclesiastical leaders, but never arrive back at the apostles. Just like the false teachers in Galatia, they arrive at their own point 
So how do you decide whom to follow, who to listen to? The answer is really simple. The answer is you must test them all by the teaching of the apostles of Jesus Christ. Paul said in Galatians 6.16, peace and mercy will be on the church when it walks by this rule. It's the word of God. We've got nothing else. I've got nothing else. (laughs) Nothing to give you. Good advice, maybe. Good news. It's in here. It's in the word. It's with us. And that is why we stand behind this and say, every Sunday we say when we read this book, this is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Authority is good. It's good for us. God wants us to enjoy his authority, to be under it. It brings peace. It brings peace. Pray with me, would you?